our intuition lives in the body and the body tells us it's constantly telling us things whether whether a decision is right for us a person is right for us what is what we need more of what we need less of we just aren't listening welcome to the put yourself first podcast inspiring conversations with badass women empowering you to make time for your personal goals and put yourself first Welcome back to Put Yourself First, everyone, and welcome to today's guest, Kat Tree. Say hello. Hi, Kat. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be on Put Yourself First. I'm so excited to chat with you, especially after we met at Soul Circus Festival, which was a bit of a serendipity moment for me because I had no idea you were going to be there and we'd already had an email exchange about these podcasts so yeah it was a bit funny to see you in person I know it was really nice coincidence I'm so pleased that you you came up and you came to my class which was brilliant and it was a nice surprise how long ago was that I was trying to think earlier was it a few weeks ago now already or even a month ago gosh yeah yeah that was very nice so we've met in person as well before our little chat so that was a good serendipitous moment I like it when that happens yeah me too so Introduce yourself to everyone. So and I a little bit more about what you do. I am the Curiosity Coach, aka Katri, as you've already introduced me. And I am a transformational coach and mentor. And in particular, I work empowering women to be free from the limitations of stress and an anxious mind. And I do this through supporting them to reconnect with and create harmony between the mind. And the body, so I have a very holistic approach to the way that I work, and ultimately I am working in this relationship with clients to help them reconnect to their inner power, to feel confident, calm, and joyful by living their limitless life. Removing limitations is my ultimate goal when I work with with my coaching clients. Sounds fab. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) let's go let's do it I think we all need to remove some limitations from our lives indeed unfortunately I think for so many of us all of us in some way shape form to varying degrees have kind of these limits that we put on ourselves that society has put on us that our upbringing has put on us parents teachers whoever it or whatever it might have been but I think the key is just shining a light on them becoming more aware of them being curious about them as I'm sure we'll sort of dive into in this this chat um and so that then you can overcome them you can take away the limitations become unstuck and that ultimately means you're capable of doing feeling and achieving anything that you want to and that's pretty exciting in my opinion yeah really really exciting so take us back um before we go into the nitty gritty of your work and the practical tips and the takeaways that everyone can go and do today, um, you have an incredible story and you shared a little bit with me about this, but um, I'm really interested to hear more about it because I think it's so inspiring and I think a lot of people will, um, will be inspired by it too. So tell us more about... Um, your past and what has happened to you and how that has brought you to the work you do today yeah so well it's interesting sort of now obviously to think of it as a story it's quite nice that I now have the space as time gives us between certain things that happened in the past but basically I in hindsight that wonderful thing called hindsight I was always a bit of an anxious child growing up had a very idyllic childhood I grew up in the countryside in Buckinghamshire um, my parents had a farm we had loads of baby animals that we used to hand rear of two sisters and really happy family life so it was very idyllic um, but I was always a bit of an anxious child only I realized this looking back and at the time it wasn't necessarily it wasn't obvious to other people I very much internalized lots of worries and um kind of thoughts about myself that I you know I was a child and didn't know how to acknowledge these within myself 
But from the outside, I was very outgoing. I was confident. But inside, I had lots of stuff going on. Um, and for me, it, so that was sort of going through sort of childhood. And then for me, the kind of pinnacle point that was a big kind of turning point for and not a good one in my life was when I was 13, I contracted meningococcal septicemia, which in is meningitis, essentially. And in the matter of 24 hours, I was on, went from, you know, being at school, it was a Monday, I remember, um, with my friends, being fit and healthy, to then the next day I was in a coma on life support machine. And um, at the time, that uh, last thing, last thing I remember, I was unwell in bed, and so I wasn't really aware of it, but and it was obviously very traumatic for my friends, my family, my poor parents who were told to prepare for the worst. Um, but I was, you know, I, I, in two weeks, two weeks time, matter of, I think, well, it was a matter of week, five days or so on life support. I responded amazingly well to the, um, to the treatment, the medication and the fantastic team that in the, the hospital in London that I was in. And I, woke up they started bringing me out of the coma and but when I woke up literally everything had kind of shifted in, in inside of me and I at 13 years old kind of lost the trust in life I remember re when I became conscious that I'd sort of had this uh, you know near-death experience and because you come out of that and everyone starts telling you how lucky you are and wow you're so lucky you you survived it's amazing all of these things what that had happened is it kind of had triggered this existential crisis by coming so close to death at such a young age. I then started questioning everything because I, what I had realised is that if I had died at that time, I wouldn't have realised, I wouldn't have known. And that to me triggered this huge kind of questioning and trust in the world. If I could just disappear, then at the time my, my thought process was, well, well, what's the point? And that marked a huge shift in my mindset. And obviously I was 13. So not only did I have all the hormones of a 13 year old girl going on and that changing my body, I also had already a natural anxious kind of tendency. Um, then there was this huge, obviously with meningitis, it's a huge trauma to the brain as well as a big emotional trauma to go through to through that. So that triggered something and this new perspective. And then fast forward over the next sort of 10 years, I kind of spiraled down into um, having anxiety, depression. I, as a, as at 14, 15, I developed an eating disorder that spun on then till my early 20s. I started self-harming. Um, I was abusing drugs, all because I, I had my perspective had shift, shifted, and because I wasn't aware of this, I was you know as a teenager, it's hard. I think nowadays there's there's lots more awareness on mental health, and but I didn't understand what anxiety was, and I certainly did not consider myself to be an anxious person. I thought I was the most chilled person in the world, but in hindsight, I realised I was constantly criticizing myself worrying what people thought of me worrying of what might go wrong how my future would be which it's all the traits of of being anxious um so that was that was the kind of the turning point when I got ill and then that 10 year span and when I got to university when I was 20 I went off after doing our foundation year and going traveling all of these things that I thought would make me happy I'd be happy when I go traveling I'll be happy when I go to uni do all these things I then got to uni um, and those three years were really really tough I was away from home which meant I had no one regulating or kind of who knew me really well regulating what I was doing so I sunk even lower into mental illness and basically by my final year of uni I was spending most of my time in bed I couldn't I could, felt so overwhelmed with life I literally couldn't engage with it I had I was in second year I think it was I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome so I was just sleeping most of the time um and unable to do anything and it was then when I finished uni and or that sort of final term which was a 
bit of a struggle as an understatement to get to, to that point. I didn't do very well. Obviously, my all things considering, I had extenuating circumstances, but I basically pretty much, I didn't fail, but very close to failing. And that sent me, I thought I was already at rock bottom, but that at this point, because I've been suicidal for quite some time, but this, getting that mark and getting those results back and having that realization that this thing that I had been looking forward to my entire life and had seen as, you know, I'd put you going to uni on the pedestal that I'd have so much fun, I'd be so happy. Uh, that had kind of come and gone and I was the most unhappiest I've ever, ever been. And that, that kind of made me, that sent me, kind of broke me and I sent me, I had a little bit of a breakdown. I ended up moving back with my parents. Very lucky they were so amazingly supportive. And that was my turning point because as I saw it, aged how old would I have been? 23. I had three options. And this is kind of what I said to myself over that summer after uni, well, after I finished uni, when I was at my parents, crying every day, telling them that I just wanted to die, to, uh, sitting on the, you know, I remember sitting on the worktop services, just crying all the time and expressing, poor them, <laughs> having to see this. Um, and I had three options as I saw it. Carry on as I was and, you know, how I was feeling, the lifestyle I was leading, continue failing at the things I wanted to do, probably ending up being a drug addict and eventually losing the support of friends and family. The second option was to kill myself, as I had kind of been envisaging for quite a number of years at this stage. And the third option was to do everything in my power to, to make the changes I needed to transform my life and not feel like this anymore. And I always kind of knew that the first two options were never actually really options. For me, that that the connection and the love for my family and my friends, I could never do that to them. And it was that that got me got me through. And in six months time, I over the next following six months, I like dived into getting to know myself, read every self-development book I could, watched loads of YouTube videos started practicing mindfulness uh, I was also seeing a cognitive behavioral therapist and getting treatment um, uh, ther therapeutic treatments and by sh by sheer <laughs> determination I made a huge transformation in those six months and because of that that then it inspired me to and everything I learned I was like why I wish you know why didn't I learn this before why why didn't people get told you know that you're not your thoughts <laughs> that, that, why was I taught this as a child that I you know I uh, to be noticed the stories in my mind um, things like mindfulness this was before mindfulness and wellness was so popular I remember I was reading a book about mindfulness and no one had heard what it was my mum bless her had found out about it um, through someone she knew and had bought the book for me uh, so that that was that was the the sort of in a nutshell my journey and that is what then inspired me to want to help other people make the shifts the transformations that I had and fast forward now I am fast forward six seven years I am certainly I now no longer suffer from eating disorders mental illness mental health is something I work on every day because we all need to maintain the healthy and a healthy uh, mind um, but I am still to this day <laughs> so grateful for where I am now and so grateful that I get to help other people make the shifts um, but yeah that is a little bit in a nutshell of my story. <laughs> I think your story is so important because I think a lot of people have been through something really horrible, really tragic, really traumatic. And maybe it was when they were young, I think. A lot of these narratives you see around near-death experiences are really super positive. It's like, oh, I almost died. And then I woke up and I realised that life is amazing and I'm so grateful. And it's like, <laughs> not, ever, not everyone has that experience. It is a trauma and it is horrible like no young woman should have to go through that mm -hmm. and I think 
your story is really important because a lot of people will probably be listening and think that as they, you know, as they've grown up, they've started to connect the dots of maybe something that happened to them and how they are, how it's affected them and they might struggle with anxiety, depression, an eating disorder, mental health issues. And it's so important for people like you to share that story because I don't think you realise, I think sometimes you don't realise how much something can affect you and it really does have a knock-on effect on your mental health and it can creep up on you almost. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like you said, like you've shared, all of a sudden, you you feel like a completely different person. You don't know what's happened. Absolutely, and I think that's it's so so true. And I certainly did not make that connection or acknowledge the impact that it had for a long, long time. I'm talking years, so all the way through. So that happened sort of when I was 13, all the way through my teenage years. Um, I was, and certainly in the in the year year and next year after after I, I got ill, I constantly was told, "Oh, you're lucky, you're lucky." I was known as the girl with meningitis. Everyone at school knew me because letters had had to be sent out. I was, and I knew this as well. I knew that teachers. I did use it to my advantage with teachers, you know, with allowing homework to be late and knowing I could get away with the things. I pushed those boundaries because I. I I knew that I could get away with things and I'd stopped caring at that point and that was but I hadn't realized and I remember my bless my poor mum who who she had seen like she she still now says she saw I you know I went into that coma one person and I came out a completely different person and she could see that my parents could see it both my mum and my dad but my mum especially and she tried her hardest. She she stepped, tried to make. Uh, I took me to counselling and tried to help me acknowledge that perhaps something had changed. But I, a, I was a teenager, and whatever my mum said, obviously I was going to go completely the opposite way. <laughs> Tell her not. But I didn't understand, and I didn't have the self awareness. Whenever someone said, oh, "Aren't you lucky? Aren't you so lucky?" I, in hindsight, I can remember that now that every time someone said that in my head, I didn't get it, and I was like, "What? Well, I don't understand." And I remember thinking, I wish I'd died. And I didn't realise at the time, obviously, for a 13-year-old, 14-year-old to be having those thoughts, I wish I'd died, there's a very troubling um, thoughts that highlight already that there's something going on then that I needed to, um, I could have could have benefited hugely from professional help. But I, it wasn't until I was 19 that I first sought help and, 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 and realised for myself that perhaps um, there was something going on that needed um, needed addressing. Until then, I had absolutely no idea. And I saw myself as a victim. Every I was blaming everyone else. I was I was in a very emotionally abusive relationship for four or five years. Well, from when I was fourteen to to when I left school. So I blamed you know everything I was feeling. I was blaming you know, that person, that that boyfriend, this thing that happened. It wasn't until I was 19 that I, re- I began to plant the seed of, oh, hang on a second, is this perhaps me and coming from things going on inside of me? So it, it, it is very difficult um, to notice how, how sort of traumatic events, and traumas can be, there's not, there's such a spectrum. It's, it does not, It's they're so subjective. It's not the one size fits all and there's no, you know, Anything that causes you emotional distress and puts your sense of safety in jeopardy is considered a trauma. I think it's really important to to acknowledge that and, and to give yourself kind of, if, if you're feeling a certain way, then to accept that and give yourself the space to heal in that way. Because when you resist it, as I did for so long, you don't allow that healing happen and that's when other it will manifest in other ways for me it was eating disorders self-harm drug abuse and these relative you know I was in a series of really unhealthy emotionally abusive relationships and that was because I in it was another form of self-harm in a way what was it like to ask for help I up until that point I had never really told my parents I had always, I was I was very very good and all through my teenage years very very good at hiding 
what was going going on. So nobody knew about my eating disorder until my it had been going on for over ten years before anybody knew about it. Um, uh, even though my just sort of weight had fluctuated, but I, I, I hid it very well. And especially telling my parents, I was so afraid of making them upset. It wasn't about what they were going to say. It was just I, I did not want to hurt them, and I knew that they would, you know, by me being hurt, they would be hurt. And I didn't want them to ever think that they'd done anything wrong so that I I'd hid it very well from my parents I think I first went to the doctors when I was 19 and I went with a friend and I think my sisters had, had kind of everyone basically everyone knew but my parents already knew when I was you know that I, I had mental health problems and they knew what I was up to and that I needed help but they were also aware that the more they pushed it the more it would push me away so that's why when I finally reached out to them. I think I called my mum. It was during, yeah, during the kind of final stint of, you know, of my hand in of the university and doing my degree show. I did a fine art degree, so it was like setting up this whole exhibition and all the work. I couldn't cope with that. So I was on the phone to them a lot, having panic attacks on the phone, calling them a lot over this time. So they, there was kind of a build up to it. And then it was my, my parents said to me, they said, we, you can move home with us. So I think I, there wasn't like one particular call. There was a few, a few distressed calls. I think I was having panic attacks over the phone to them. And it got to the point when I, when I actually had finished all my work was handed in. Uh, my, my parents said to me, you, if you, you could move home with us, we will support you for six months. But you have to do everything that you can. You have to be going to therapy every week. You have to, you're not allowed to be, you know, you're not, um, allowed to be doing these things that are make, not making you feel good. You have to do everything you can. We'll support you to do everything you can to get you through this, and we will get you through this. So I was in, I'm incredibly grateful for that support network because I know that not everyone has has that, and that was to, still to this day. I, I you know, If I didn't have the support of my family, I don't know, you know where or what I would be doing. So I'm very, very grateful for that. But it was really hard, and... Something still now, you know, it makes me emotional when I think back to obviously the, the pain and stuff it caused them. But I, that's and that's still what drives me now to when I have difficult days, as everyone does, or difficult periods. It a huge motivator for me is thinking back to those times and how it felt when how much I was affecting the people around me as well as myself. So not only is it the fact of how good things make me feel when I, um, you know, just little things like when I go on a run, how good that makes me feel, but then how, you know, by proxy, when I feel good, that makes the people around me feel good. And when I do well, it makes them, you know, proud of me. And it, all of those things are huge motivators for me now. I love that. And we're going to talk more about self-care later and why, it's so important, not just for us, but for everyone in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. But back to the work that you do now. So you're, you describe yourself as the curiosity coach. Oh, and you talk do. about the importance of curiosity. So would you like to share a bit more about that and how that ties into um, what you work on with clients, helping them with anxiety and how it has helped you as well. Absolutely. I'm like, for me, curiosity is a state of being. Initially, it's, I see it as it's a quality that we can develop within ourselves. It's a quality where we're being inquisitive, when we're digging beneath the surface and asking questions about ourselves and about the world around us. And when we're not doing this, as I didn't for so long. So it all comes, from, like stems from that personal experience and from what I see in the clients I work with and my peers and you know everyone around around me. That's what keeps us stuck, and that's what keeps us kind of stagnant. And that's when we're not feeling happy. So when we're not fulfilled in what we're doing, and perhaps that's when things spiral into things like um, and, and being anxious spirals into anxiety, and feeling down spirals into depression. And so that state of curiosity means that we are more inclined to ask ourselves why. So, you know, why am I feeling this? Why is this happening? And what if? What if I were to feel this? What if I were to do that, to say that? What would happen? What do I really want? What are my dreams? And then how? So the why, the what if, the how, how do I do that? How do I feel that? 
it's asking questions. Being curious means, you know, you you have that openness to learn new things, to be explorative about yourself and, you know, explore things about yourself, explore things about people around you, explore things about the world. And the thing I love about it, the thing that I, why I see it as being so important is that it instills a sense of awe and wonder within us. And this is something that as children, we're naturally we naturally have this as children. You see it, you know, the, the children's eyes lighting up about in excitement about things and seeing things for the first time. And they're always asking, but why? But why? You know, I'm sure you ever had it where, the, you know, a child, a child will ask you why, why? And you can answer it a couple of times and you get to the point and you're like, I don't know why. <laughs> I love that when that happens a lot. But that, you know, we naturally have that curiosity and that sense of awe as children, but it's, all those experiences that we have throughout our childhood, teenage years, that then cause us to perceive everything through a filter. And, you know, it forms our beliefs. And by being bringing back that that curiosity and that um, questioning, seeing things through sort of fresh eyes, it enables us to find that magic in the mundane again. So the things that we, as adults, we might seem as boring, the things perhaps we haven't looked at in the same way or we've not been mindful enough to notice, we can then bring back to our attention. And that is what brings the most important thing. And that is being able to find joy in our everyday lives. Because in my opinion, and it has, it's the whole reason when I'm working with clients, if we don't have joy, if we can't feel joy, even during times that are difficult because we will all have those finding joy is the most important thing that's that is to me the the most important thing about life and the you know the when as as a 13 year old I questioned what's the point of life to me that is the point finding joy being joyful with loved ones laughing having fun in this beautiful earth that we live in because it is a beautiful place and I, I see it now in completely different eyes to when I I was a teenager and I was I had that that completely different filter that I was seeing things through but so when I'm working with clients the main things I work on is being present so you have to be in the moment to be able to 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 be curious about yourself and, and notice things in your world your inner landscape what's going on internally in your outer world so it's building that awareness and teaching people to understand themselves because if you don't understand yourself and know yourself you then can't help yourself and this is what breaks down any boundaries that people have put up about themselves sometimes it's as a you know as a safety measure sometimes it's to keep other people out or to keep themselves in because they're afraid of giving their, themselves to people or to the world and that is how then we get them to live without limits and that limitless living I've got the sort of three pillars to limitless living that I, ha- I I work on with with clients um and those sort of main three pillars that I have is aligning with your purpose it's all about self-discovery getting as I was saying I mentioned just before you have to know yourself and managing your mind and emotions is the second pillar and the third pillar befriending befriending your body and I think we're so disconnected as I was for so many years, it was so much living in our head in our modern society that we kind of have forgotten everything going head down. Or as, as I was suffering from eating disorders, I was very resistant of everything. I was hated on everything from the neck down. And it is so detrimental to our physical and our mental and emotional well-being when we have that disconnection. So it's all about building that connection to ourselves and to the outer world beautiful can you yeah let's dive in then to some practical stuff so tell us more about each pillar again recap and maybe share your favorite activities or prompts or little pieces of homework that you give to clients and you share on your own podcast um that we can all do to be focusing on each pillar lovely I love practical giving practical digestible actionable tips I think is so important because it's what I see helping 
helping people most. That's why I have my own podcast and everything I share. I try to give people those actionable tips because we can all start making little changes, the little micro actions that build up to the big transformations. So, so certainly with that first, the first main pillar that I always start on when I'm working with um, clients and that is aligning with your purpose. And what I mean by this, it is knowing what you want. So what is important to you? what your values are and also what you want from life. So daring to dream. So many of us don't or are too afraid to admit our dreams to ourselves and especially out loud to other people, because when we admit what we want and, you know, our biggest desires, our biggest dreams, it highlights the gap between our current actions. So what we're currently doing and what we would need to do. And often we're not doing the things that we would need to do or not anywhere near close to in order to achieve the things that we want so if we we kind of subconsciously or sometimes consciously if we don't admit what we want then we haven't really failed and I used to do I used to be a big person um so I used to do that a lot not admit what I wanted because then I hadn't or not try because then I hadn't failed if I hadn't if I didn't put the finish yeah (laughs) classic oh if I didn't even revise for that exam so it doesn't matter that I got a bad grade (laughs) so that uh, I think I think it's I see it's so many people in it and obviously you know, exams when when you're younger and I think as you as in in your twenties as you get older into a working professional life it's I I I dream for that promotion but I'm if I don't apply for it I won't get it it doesn't matter because I haven't applied for it oh I see that so often with with clients so the first step to align the first sort of practical thing to align with your purpose is to dare to dream. And I, and I get clients to do this when we first start working together is to write a dream statement and be big, be bold, be honest, admit what you want. Because and it, it might be that, you know, maybe you're in a relationship in a particular career. Maybe your dream is to be single and in a completely new career. And that can be bloody terrifying to admit that because it means you're going to have to make some huge, scary, bold choices that perhaps are going to in the short term be upsetting to you perhaps it's going to be upsetting to other people but you can't build a life that you're excited to wake up to until you have your to, until you're courageous enough to admit the things that you want so daring to dream write that dream statement is the first thing and also knowing your values so these are words or phrases that you that are the um are most important to you they're the the way that you want to live your life almost are the guidelines and this is another exercise that I get get clients to do and I actually have it as a free download and in the resources section of my website I could say I can send that to you so the um, people that the listener the listeners can perhaps do this exercise where it's a I have it as a list of words and phrases and you can add your own and what I do is to get people to pick 12 12 values and this is something that we kind of in our head, we, we know how we want to live our life and what we want to live our life by, but getting really specific is, is challenging. So getting to pick 12 things and then it's about picking five and that's even harder. So for me, it's um, being curious is one creativity, authenticity, um, trust and honesty. Those are uh, some of the things at the moment that I'm li- making sure that I live my life by and until you become clear on those, you when you're not clear on those, that is when, and you're not living your life by your values and in a way that is important to you, in the way that makes you feel good, that's when you feel dissatisfied. That's when you feel unfulfilled. But when you become really clear on what's important to you, they kind of, your values act as reference points. So when you're not sure about a decision, when maybe it's in your relationship and you're not sure if you're dating someone, you're not sure if they're right for you, does the way they feel or do their, do their values match up with your values? When it comes to making a decision in your professional life about a job, does is it aligned with your values? It, they act as reference points. So that's really important. Aligning, um, Daring to dream and knowing your values to help with that first pillar aligning with your purpose. And the second uh, pillar to limitless living that I then will move on to when we've got that foundation of of self-discovery is managing your mind and emotions and this is so fundamental to creating any sort of change or transformation within yourself because if we can't until you create space between the real you 
the kind of true essence of yourself and the thoughts and the feelings that are happening you're, that you're experiencing you will believe them as as to be fact so the thoughts in your mind you'll uh, believe the stories that they're telling you and that was a huge turning point for me it took me many years to uh, to understand that I remember a therapist telling that saying that to me that I could choose my thoughts and I walked out of the appointment being like what what an idiot he doesn't even know what he's talking about how can I possibly choose the way I choose my thoughts they just happen and it wasn't until some years later that the penny dropped I think I was reading Eckhart Tolle's The uh, Power of Now book when the penny finally dropped about the the thought your thoughts are just words and images in your heads and you're the listener looking on to to your thoughts so it's it's the to be able to manage your mind you need to first start watching what stories are coming through so when you feel a surge of emotion whether that's happiness whether that's frustration it's easier to notice what unhelpful stories we're telling ourselves when it's you know uncomfortable emotions so anger jealousy frustration sadness when you feel that surge a thought will have will be associated with that will be feeding those emotions so what stories are the characters in your mind telling you our mind is made up of lots of different characters we've got um the mind reader some of us have a strong character in our head where we're constantly predicting what other people are telling us thinking of us often without actually ever um, any evidence and we can never truly know what other people are thinking some people are catastrophizers you in this certainly um, in the past was me and it's my natural tendency that I always work towards rebalancing and that is thinking of the worst thing that can happen if uh, if you're you err on the, the kind of anxious mind then you often automatically go to the worst case scenario of something that might happen um if I walk into that interview I will trip over and smash my face and or knock out all of my teeth and I'll never get that job that sort of that sort of thing um so managing your thoughts those stories that are feeding those emotions and a practical way to start doing this is to start what I, I call a thought record and to literally watch when those surge of emotions come up recording down so you can keep this you know in the notes in your phone maybe in a journal and just recording what what thoughts have have are associated with that maybe what stories are you telling yourself uh i can't go on that date because he's going to think i'm stupid i um if i wear at this if i wear this outfit they're going to think this of me so what stories are you feeding yourself constantly in your mind writing them down and start seeing it like collecting data so you you're collecting the data of your thoughts labeling what emotions so saying that's made me feel hurt that's made me feel sadness frustration anger sometimes it's a few things at once and then rather than believing all your thoughts as facts because our thoughts are simply hypothesis they're this is where I encourage all my clients to become these curious self-scientists think of your thoughts as as um as things you need to prove you're collecting the data to prove the thoughts to be true or to be false. Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're false. So you have your thoughts recorded and then you ask yourself, okay, well, what is what evidence do I have within my life that supports this thought that, um, let's say if I go on a date, he's going to think I'm stupid. So evidence against that would be I've gone on loads of dates before and they've gone really well. I've had ex-boyfriends who I have loved and they have loved me and you know all I know that I am funny I know that I'm not stupid all the evidence that goes against it and then all the evidence that supports it you know it might be that you did badly on an exam once when you were a teenager that maybe you got broken up with by your ex-partner all of these things collecting the data for and against and questioning your thoughts that is the most important thing and being aware of your emotions and the final pillar uh, which is befriending your body I've touched on that before building that body intelligence that body awareness what does your body feel what is going on in your body what exercise and food makes you feel good what makes you feel not so good what depletes your energy which what bring what um, enhances your energy we're all so different and that body intelligence 
and body engagement. So body awareness, body intelligence and um, engagement are so important when it comes to befriending your body. And again, that collecting of data. If I get seven hours of sleep, how does it make me feel? How do I feel when I go for a walk in nature? Some people feel better or worse for different things. Definitely not a one size fits all. And what I I encourage my clients to do is to practice things like body scans, that mindfulness body scan where you sit and you spend time in a formal setting noticing what your body is telling you. Constantly, our bodies are sending us signals. Our mind and body is a two-way street, the connection between the two. So sitting and allowing those signals from your body and those messengers, the messengers that the body is, is sending us to come through. We have to silence the mind in order to hear them. So sitting with, with your body, connecting to how it feels on a daily basis is, is really fundamental to removing the limits that perhaps your mind is putting on your body and ultimately your, your, um, your true self and your kind of larger self on on a bigger scale so yeah sorry that was I went off a bit of a tangent there with those three pillars no no I love it I love it like you just dived right in I don't even need to in like you're the type of person who I don't even need to interview <laughs> I'll just be like let the expert do the talking part <laughs> I'm quite I'm quite saying to you before that we started the interview I'm, I'm quite good at talking and go carry on for another one <laughs> No, it's really, like it's all really good stuff, and I love that you've just like gone one bam bam through the three pillars. Um, the biggest takeaway from that for me is it's all about intuition, by the yeah. sounds of it. And I love that. I love that you said it's not one size fits all. I always say that about coaching and with my clients, because too many of us are are looking outside of ourselves for the answers to what's an inside problem. Yeah. Rather than going inwards and trusting that we have the answer and we instinctively, deep down, even though it might be covered up by some other stuff, we know what makes us feel good and what we want to do with our lives and what what we can do today as well to tap into that curiosity and joy. Absolutely. I think we are... Ex- we are ex- um, animal, animals of instinct we have these instincts but because we have built this incredible world as humans that sets us apart from the animal world we have forgotten these this roots and this connection and that is why we're seeing such an increase of disconnection in society and then within ourselves as well so I think as it's the kind of disease of our of our time this this lack of connection so it's the, the way I work exactly as, as you said and I know as you work as well I think it's yeah, as coaches, this is what we, um, you know, the, we we know that this is so important, and it's and it is building that 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 link back again and that awareness of our natural intuition. We all are intuitive beings, but we have just forgotten how to tap into it. So many of us have, and I certainly had many years ago, and l- lots of us um, perhaps already do, but aren't aware that's what we're doing. But I think it's it's building the that building those connections back up again and, and our intuition lives in the body and the body tells us it's constantly telling us things whether whether a decision is right for us a person is right for us what is what we need more of what we need less of we just aren't listening so it's about tapping back into it and essentially our intuition is like our in our built-in gps system that allows us to navigate our life. So when you're feeling lost, when you're feeling uncertain, when you're feeling insecure, you need to tap. Those are just symptoms of needing to tap in and listen to your intuition. And sometimes we all need help with that. And that's when working with a coach or a professional is so helpful because we sometimes we can't see things and we need an outer perspective or we need someone that perhaps has been through a similar experience to us um, to help us reconnect and build, rebuild these pathways and connections with, um, with our intuition. But yeah, you, know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head as well. It's, it is all about, about finding, finding that inner, inner 
um, GPS system, as I like to call it, call it, that we have, something that we can all relate to now, as in, you know, we all use Google Maps to navigate our way around, but it's about finding that inner navigation of our inner, you know, our inner world, our inner landscape that is vital to to that limitless life, which is living a life where we feel fulfilled, satisfied, excited when we wake up in the morning. I love that. Such a real, like, beautiful analogy. Um, Before we head into the quick round at the end, I wanted to touch on self-care and um, being selfish with your time and taking time out to focus on yourself, focus on your personal growth. Um, you've obviously had to had to do that, had to make that decision. You know, maybe some of us need that extreme of, right, I need to make a massive change in my life. I need to take the next six months or the next year. But for most of us, there's probably something that we can be doing more, taking more time for ourselves with. But a lot of us are held back by people pleasing by um lack of boundaries in our lives maybe we're saying yes to too much putting too much on our plate or maybe we just feel like to do that would be selfish and would actually be taken away from our loved ones so you touched on this earlier but you said you know having that time for yourself and taking part in your own transformation if you will has actually made you a better person, a better, a more supportive loved one, you know, a better daughter, friend, partner. So can you touch on that? Because that's something I try to hammer home, like, in every single podcast, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You're so right. I, you know, so many clients I see resisting looking after themselves because they're putting children first, they're putting colleagues first, partners first, that I can't, if I... It, you know, I'll be selfish if I dedicate this time or if I spend that money. So many people, not just clients, I, you know, I find myself, I fight it myself still and my friends and I'm always encouraging everyone, as you are, as you said, <laughs> hammering that message home, that we cannot show up for other people and be the best versions of ourselves unless we look after ourselves. And uh, you, as I've kind of dived into my story a little bit in, in, in this conversation. It's kind of good to use that as an example. But I, I caused, when I wasn't looking after myself, um, I, this manifested, it and was, you know, in the grips of mental illness and, and not happy and not fulfilled. I was angry. I was grumpy. I wasn't able to work. So I was having to borrow money. I was getting into debt. I was aggressive verbally in the sense of I was grumpy to the people around me, the people I cared for. I caused them so much worry, stress, sleepless nights, worrying about me and upset. Whereas now, now I have those clear boundaries of what is it, what I need to do to look after myself. And I dedicate that time. I say no to things and people request because I know what I need to keep myself within this um this the kind of healthy level that it you know keeps me allows me to be the best version of myself and by doing that it now means that i i am i am um see i feel good so taking care of yourself makes you feel good it makes you calmer it makes you more compassionate and of course not only is this going to make you feel really good but this is, and it was going to, sorry, makes you the, be compassionate towards yourself, but also to everyone else around you and you encounter. So as I sort of proved to myself already, when I look after myself and, and I take care and put my needs first, it's not selfish because that then means I'm going to be able to show up so much more to my family, to my friends, to my partner, to my clients, especially now as you and I were working our, our jobs are showing up at, are showing up for people on a daily basis. We need to be in that optimum state of physical, emotional, and mental health. And in order to do that, we need to have those um, those tools and those practices in place that means we look after ourselves. Um, and it's the same for other people. I think a really good example is road rage. And I often use this example with with clients. 
the I, I think <laughs> trade is a good way of kind of epitomizing that something is going on for someone. When you when someone cuts you up in the car, you have no idea what's going on for them or what's just happened, whether they saw you, whether they didn't, whether they're rushing to see a sick loved one in the hospital or whatever's going on. But if you react, you're in that reactive state and you press that horn and you keep beeping that horn, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) and maybe, I've never actually done this, but I certainly know people that have, you know, maybe you swear at the window, you put your finger up or worse in London, I see worse than this on a daily basis. It, it, it's, there is some people, lots of people you don't realize that's that automatic response. And I always say to people now, as I use this as an example, when you're doing that to other people, you're putting that energy out there of road rage, it never feels good. It may be you've done it and then immediately been like, oh God, what have I done? I can't believe I've done that. There's something going on for you. It's a sure sign that you need a little bit more self-care in some shape, form to varying degrees. Because also you've then just passed that on to the other person. Mm-hmm. We've all been on the receiving end of of road rage in, at some point. And that, it, it is enough. It can ruin someone's day. You never know what's going on for someone else, vice versa. So now when I experience it or when I see it on a daily basis in London, as I said, <laughs> you see it in the cars, you can kind of send that compassion to them. Well, what's going on for them? They clearly are, needed, are in need of a little bit of self-care because you're not then when you can stop yourself from road rage and obviously that uh, I'm sort of allowing that to be an example of some a colleague doing something to you a partner doing something that winds you up a sibling friend whatever it is it gives you that space and that choice to respond rather than react so that you're not passing on whatever you're holding on to you're not passing on your rage and spoiling someone else's day spoiling their week their month giving them hang-ups and altering their self-esteem and giving them something else you're not passing on your burden because ultimately something I feel very very passionate about is looking after ourselves taking care of our own shit sorting out our own problems so that we do not pass it on to other people we don't so that when we have children we don't pass it on to them and we that cycle we can break the cycle but first we have to look after ourselves and I feel very strongly about that I love that and that stuff yeah I mean that is an ego check for me because the week before my period when I get behind the wheel (laughs) I am like a different person (laughs) and sometimes I think what if it was someone that I knew I always that I always ask myself that when I get road ragey I think what if you pulled up beside them and you were like (laughs) shouting out the window and then you were like oh (laughs) it's like a client or a family friend or like an in-law you'd just be like you just want the ground to swallow you up so yeah that's something that helped me as well in the moment like check myself think of imagine that it's someone important that you wouldn't want to offend yeah exactly (laughs) it certainly is and we've all done and of course it's about that self-regulation and sometimes you might be the week before your period and justifiably, you know, your hormones are there. You might beep that horn a little bit more than you usually would or if, if ever. And being a little bit compassionate to that. But it's important, like you said, to think of what is the effect of this? What is the larger picture? I could beep this horn and put, stick my middle finger up and it's going to be my next client coming in. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's not good it's not good at all never that would never be never be uh never be good or they perhaps would give you something to talk about in the session about what not to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is yeah really good analogy and a lot a lot to take away and I think most of us have an example like that in our lives where we project something when we're not in the best place we can be like either mentally emotionally physically exactly exactly yeah. I think it's always a sure sign that it is saying when you when you become a self-scientist and you're gathering data whenever you react to something and you snap at someone or you know you feel angry towards someone ask yourself why because it's there's information it's your emotions and messengers and it's sending you sending you really important information that something's going on that perhaps needs your attention sometimes it's perfectly valid and you being really angry pissed off at someone 
they've done it's them and it's not you but but just being curious that's where that curiosity comes in as to what is going on is there something more at play here that perhaps needs my attention yeah absolutely so these are the quick run questions that I ask every guest at the end of the podcast. Alrighty. So I'm just going to fire them at you. So yep. question number one is, what is your go-to self-care ritual? That is time on my own. I'm, a, I'm an introverted extrovert. But, and if I don't have time on my own, which then allows my kind of more specific self-care rituals, which is things like meditating, uh, checking in with myself, moving my body in various ways, depending on what I need, that is definitely something that I is I always ensure I have time in my in my calendar. Second question is what is challenging you to leave your comfort zone recently? Uh, so recently, I'm doing lots of lots more in London in London's um, kind of speaking gigs and going to new places to new meetings and things like that. And that's still as someone that was always something that I found. Uh, brought out my anxiety is literally walking into a new place and not knowing who I'm walking up to what the space is going to be that's something where that sort of social anxiety still comes out of me so it's managing that and pushing my comfort zone which is great because every time you do it you feel a little bit more empowered to do it for the next time I love that what are your goals for the rest of this year going into 2020 so for the rest of 2019, I'm uh, doing a little kind of re, uh, recalibration of the business, ready for, I always do um, uh, a challenge before Christmas, so a free challenge that I get um, everyone to everyone to sign up for on the run up to Christmas. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm working towards other than my usual sort of uh, work with clients before Christmas and the end of the year. And 2020... I haven't actually said this out loud yet to someone, but 2020, my big goal is to start writing my book that I've had in my head for a very long time. How exciting. Yeah, it's very That's exciting. amazing. It is exciting. I've, yeah, like I said, I've not said that out loud yet. So now it's out there. I've put it out there. Yes. That's so going to happen. It's real. It exists. <laughs> Would you like to share a favourite resource that you are loving recently? And this could be anything like personal professional just something that is a go-to for you at the moment so my favorite resource at the moment I'm actually at the moment finally reading which I've not uh but I've been wanting to read for ages is Big Magic by um Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert the best I, I, I've been wanting to read it for ages and I finally got um got round to it I have a stack of books that I'm guilty of starting and then I get excited about a new one I order and, or find in the, the bookshop and start reading that so this and it, that's just all about being curious and, and tapping into creativity to overcome uh, fear. And to me, it just is resonating so much with, to me with me already. So, yeah, I'm loving that. I'd recommend that to anyone who hasn't read it already. Yeah, I've read that one like multiple times. It's oh, yeah. Just, oh, no, incredible. It's, it's so good, isn't it? Finally, where can people go to follow you online, support you and learn more about working with you? So probably the best place to come find me over on Instagram. I'm on there at, at Katri Barrett. And you can find out more about my work. I work with um, people here in London face-to-face or online anywhere in the world. So I, on my website, it's www.katribarrett.com. Or if you're still using Facebook and it's quite quiet over there, you can find me. My uh, page on there is The Curiosity Coach. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story and some beautiful takeaways from what has been like a really difficult journey for you um I think it's so so inspiring that you've made your story into something positive and you're now passing on that information and that um experience to benefit other people oh thank you thanks so much for having me it's been lovely talking to you it's been lovely talking to you too and thank you guys so much for listening if you are listening to the podcast I love it when you screenshot in your podcast app and share it on your stories please be sure to tag us Katria shared her Instagram I'll put my Instagram in the show notes below and if you have any takeaways questions insights from today um, please send them over, over to us as well and I'm sure people can DM you directly too can't they 
Yeah, absolutely. Always open to slide into my DMs. Amazing. Thank you guys so much and speak soon. Thank you so much for listening to Put Yourself First. If you enjoyed it or you have any feedback, I would love you to leave me a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. And if you'd like to reach out to me on social media to let me know you enjoyed it or just have a chat and say hi, I'm at cat underscore horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're feeling extra kind, share this on to a friend who you know needs to hear this one too.